0: Thanks for tuning in to the Rolling Hills Community Church Sermon Podcast. I'm T. Lusk, the college and young adults pastor here at Rolling Hills, and we're so glad that you've joined us today for the third week in our series called The One. Today, you're going to hear from Pastor Jason, and we'll be diving into Ephesians chapter five, exploring what staying in love really looks like and what God truly has in his design for marriage. Now, here's Pastor Jason. Well, David started by preaching, so I'm going to start by singing you a song. Hi. Just kidding. I have been charged today with the task of preaching a passage of Scripture that, to be quite honest with you, is a passage of Scripture that a lot of us would like to take a big black Sharpie and just redact from the text. So are you excited to be here today with me? I usually like to start my messages with some kind of catchy phrase or catchy illustration or some story. But instead, today, I decided to just start the sermon by saying that there are some things in the Bible that may not make sense to you or they may not make sense to the world. They may even seem irrelevant or possibly even backwards from a worldly perspective. But if that is the case, it does not diminish the fact that the words are true. Enter the topic of today. Relationships, dating, and marriage in today's world. If you are here and you have blood pumping through your veins, which you all do, You want to do relationships right. If you're married, I believe in my heart that you want to have a good marriage. If you want to be married or you are making plans to be married, you want to have a good marriage. For those of you who are dating, you want to have a healthy relationship. For your coworkers, your friendships, everything that would fall under the category of relationship, I believe that you want to do that well. And God's word is not silent on any of this, specifically when we're looking today at the context of relationships like a marriage relationship. God has laid out for us a very clear and a very beautiful plan in His Word. And sometimes we misunderstand this particular text that we're going to look at today. But my question for you this morning is, will you be willing to say, God, show me what it is that you have for me? Show me your plan. Show me your purposes and help me to follow suit with whatever it is that you would desire to teach me. So our text today comes from the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 5. If you have a Bible, I would encourage you to go to the book of Ephesians. It's pretty close to the end of the New Testament. If you have that app, then you can hop online and follow along with us in God's Word. You're also going to see most of these words up here on the screen as well. But Ephesians is an amazing book of the Bible, and it's written by Paul, and it's to this church in the city called Ephesus. And it hits a lot of big ideas. A couple topics that I want to address for you in Ephesians chapter 2, Paul reminds the church that it is by grace that you are saved. It's not through faith, but it's, a, it's through faith, not by works, I should say, and it's a gift of God. In Ephesians chapter 4, Paul is reminding us that we should have wholesome talk, that our words matter, that the words that we say really carry weight. And then in Ephesians chapter 6, Paul says there's a spiritual battle happening all the time, all around us. How do we prepare for that? Through God's word and through the power of the Holy Spirit. And then wedged right in the middle of all that is Ephesians chapter 5, which is about relationships and how we are to have relationships. Now, I want you to start in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21. And I'm going to go all the way down through verse 33. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Okay, I'm just looking around to make sure nobody's leaving. Because uh, this comes out strong comes out really strong because so I just want to make sure everybody, everybody, nobody has got up and left yet. Awesome. Keep going on. Verse 25. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one has ever hated his own body, but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body, and for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you must also love his wife as he loved himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Now, as I mentioned before, this is one of those passages of Scripture that is very misunderstood, and it's one of those passages of Scripture that you're probably thinking, "Uh, I really don't even no this is i came to this church for the very first time today and when i'm here they use the s word submission submission. And I want you to keep an open mind because often we hear a word and when we hear that word, it's taken out of context for what Paul is specifically talking about. And so before you write off this text as completely irrelevant, I hope that you'll open your heart and your mind to say, God, what is it that you desire to teach me through this? Because at the heart of any God-honoring relationship is going to be a dependence upon Jesus. And it's what Paul is saying as well. We're going to look at that here in just a little bit, but Paul is saying, I want you to bring Jesus into your relationship. I want you to bring Jesus into your marriage, Jesus into your dating relationship, Jesus into your engagement, Jesus into your friendships. And so if that is my desire, then I have to ask myself the question what words would I use then to describe the way that Jesus was in relationship with other people? If that is my model, What are the words that you may use to describe how Jesus was in relationship with others? And there's a lot of examples that I could give you. But the one that I want to specifically draw your attention to is in the book of John. It's in John chapter 13. And what is going on here is it's in preparation for the Passover feast. And Jesus has pulled all of his disciples together. And all the disciples are there, including Judas Iscariot, who is going to betray him. Can you imagine that? Being seated at a table, getting ready to serve the very disciple who is going to betray you. And what does Jesus do? He gets up from the meal, and we're told in Scripture that he picks up a towel and he begins to wash the feet of these disciples. And in verse 14, I'm sorry, in verse 12, this is where I want to pick up in John chapter 13. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. that you should do as I have done for you. See, Jesus' primary, one of his primary things that he did in all of his relationships was he served people. He served them. In this specific case, he served them by washing their feet. When you think about some of the other teachings of Jesus and the other ways that he lived, he passed through villages and towns, and he would often encounter someone who had a physical ailment, and he would heal them. He was meeting a physical need Jesus would encounter people who were in need of food, and he would take a little boy's lunch and feed thousands of people from that food. Jesus also reminded us that we can only be made right through a relationship with him. It's what Ephesians chapter 2 is talking about, that you and I need to be made right, but we can't do that in our own power. So how did Jesus serve us? He took them on a cross so that we could have life. How about the disciples? He gave them a call to follow him because he knew in their heart that they needed to have something to believe in that was bigger than themselves. Jesus was all about serving. It was one of his primary reasons that he was here. And then all of a sudden you go back to our text today in Ephesians chapter 5. Go with me to back to Ephesians chapter 5. And let's backtrack a little bit to verse 1. Look at verse 1. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. See, we are to follow God's example because chapter 5 is all about relationships. And Paul is saying that in those relationships, you are to follow God's example. You are to follow the example of Jesus Christ. What did Jesus Christ do? He served He served, he served some more, and then he served a little bit more, and then he gave his life, and in case you didn't catch it, he served. Which leads me to a point that I want us to hone in on for just a second, and you see it here on the screens, and if you're taking notes, you can follow along. The most crucial element of every human relationship is what role God has in it. The most crucial element of every human relationship is what role does God have in it? See, the most important part of all your relationships is asking yourself have i invited jesus into this and what does jesus desire to do see jesus gave his life he put you first it was god's plan god loves you so much and that's why jesus was sent So is your marriage reflecting Jesus? How about your dating relationship? Is it reflecting Jesus? What about your coworkers, your friends? Are those relationships reflecting Jesus? How about the people that you're in a relationship with that do not have a faith story? Is your life reflecting Jesus? Is Jesus coming out of you to the extent in your words and your actions that people really know what you are about? See, we are to follow this example. And in following this example, we are to look for every opportunity to point people to Jesus, and to serve. Serving is so crucial for us to understand what it means to be in God-honoring relationships. But how about the world? The world doesn't necessarily give us this mantra, does it? The world doesn't say that healthy relationships are built by serving one another. I think about some of the worldly examples of relationships, and often from a worldly perspective, we will engage in a relationship not because we can serve, but because of what we can get out of it. And I want to be friends with you because of whatever benefit it would have to me. Or sometimes dating relationships start for very superficial reasons. Maybe it's solely based on looks. Or it might be based on how much money someone would have. And what Paul is saying is, I don't want you to have that kind of relationship, but I want you to have a God-honoring relationship as reminded in verse 1 and 2, to walk in the way of love just as Christ loved us. And that continues to set us up for the remainder of life. Go with me to verse eighteen. Apt of submission, 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 apt submission, submission, apt of submission is so taken out of context, and we have a very unhealthy connotation of it in our kind of 21st century mindset. But from a biblical sense of the word, and you'll see this here in the notes, from a biblical sense of the word, submission is not about being less than another, but rather about being subject to one another. Submission is not about being less than another, but rather about being subject to one another. And maybe you're asking yourself, well, what's the difference between those two words? There's a big difference. Because Ephesians 5.21 says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. It's these one another statements. And when you see these one another statements in Scripture, take note. Because it's as David was talking up here just a few minutes ago. It is, you needing me and I needing you. We're here for one another, so we are to submit to one another. Now, that Greek word submission, the Greek word in the Greek New Testament, which is what the Bible was written in, is hupotasso. Hupotasso, and what does that mean? It means that I subject myself to you, that I willfully and I willingly put you above me, subject myself to you. And when I submit to you, I'm not saying that you're better than me. When wives submit to husbands, they're not saying you are Lord over me, but they are saying I want to submit to your leadership. It's not saying that I have no rights. It's not saying that I have no voice, but it's rather saying I want you to take the lead. It's being subject to one another. It's from a mutual perspective. We go to verse 22 and we skip verse 21 because verse 21 is so crucial. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, Husbands, we're not off the hook here either. Because go to verse 25. Because see, the commission that we're given is very significant. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. What's Paul saying? Paul is saying, I am to love my wife as Christ loved the church. And hopefully, what this is doing is potentially eroding in you some of the negative connotations of these words. Because a a wife is to submit to the leadership of her husband, but the husband is to love his wife so much like Christ did the church that he is willing to do anything for her. How much did Jesus love the church? How much did Jesus love people so much so that he said, I'm holding back nothing. I will give my very life because that's how you will be made whole. That's how you will be made right. Now, some of you, unfortunately, have been in situations where you have been a member of a relationship and somebody in that relationship decided that marriage uh, was, what the, the vows of marriage were not going to be taken seriously. Maybe there was an affair or maybe there was abuse. And I want you to hear me that these types of behavior are not biblical and they're not right. And so I'm not going to standing up here and telling you, I have never and will never say that if you're in a relationship that is of that nature, that you should stay in that relationship and try to work out Ephesians chapter 5. That's not what I'm saying at all, because see, the context of Ephesians chapter 5 is really meant for two Christ followers. This is Jesus's model for relationships. And if you've been in a situation where you have been hurt and maybe you are just ready for me to say amen on this sermon because you don't want to hear any of this anymore, I want you to just know that there is grace and mercy and that God is still pursuing you no matter how much you might have been hurt. Or maybe you have hurt someone else. Know that God has a plan for you in the midst of all of that. And so my hope and my prayer is that these would not be words that we would just write off but that we would say, God, what do you want to teach me about being subject to one another because of what Jesus has done for me? One of my favorite things about my job is I get to do premarital counseling with couples, and I'll sit with couples who are you know, at this stage of their life and their relationship where they're getting ready to, you know, to become husband and wife, and we obviously talk about this. And we talk about this specific principle. And I like to do a little exercise with the couples when I get to this point. And so can I do that exercise with you today? Do you guys want to play along with this? Okay, thanks all two of you who are shaking your heads. Uh, So for those of you guys, you and you, just follow along. The rest of you guys just tune out for a second. But what I like to do at this moment in time is to help a couple understand how God has uniquely made them that he's made me as a man and he's made you as a woman for a variety of reasons and we're different and there's a lot that we have in common, but specifically as a husband or a husband-to-be, there is a role that you have and there's some things that God is asking you to do. First and foremost is that you are to love your wife unconditionally and that you are to tell your wife that you are so happy to be in a relationship with her. And you tell your wife, you know what, I'm going to put all of your needs above my own. And that means that when I have an opportunity to stay late at the office, but I really should come home, I'm going to choose you over work. It's telling your wife, you know what, I want to listen to you. It's asking your wife, how can I serve around the house? And for some of you guys, that's going to require you to reach down and pick someone up off the floor because it's the first time that they've heard the question, how can I serve you? It means as a husband pursuing intimacy with her and understanding that she is really more of a slow cooker and you're more of a microwave. (laughs) And that 10 p.m. intimacy really starts with actions and attitudes at 7 a.m. That morning. It's about you not leaving the responsibility of raising your children solely to her. It's picking up your wet towels off the floor because she is not your mother. And it's not making her wonder about are you passionate about faith, but it's you leading your family in Bible study and prayer. It's not her that has to get up every Sunday morning and drag the whole family to church, but it's you taking the initiative, and it's you leading. It's not just buying overpriced roses and cheesy cards from Walgreens on Valentine's Day, which, by the way, guys, I think we can do better. It's bringing her home roses on a Tuesday because in God's good grace, he lavished up on you this awesome gift. And then in that moment i like to turn to the bride-to-be and I'll turn to all of you today and say would you have any issues with someone leading you that way? Would you have any issues quote unquote being subject to someone who led you in this capacity? And I've not had a Soon bride-to-be in premarital counseling say, oh, yes, I would. That is so 17th century. And I'm not going to ask you today because I don't want to get embarrassed if somebody would raise their hand and say, no, I don't want that. But the reality is that often when we get to that part of the conversation, instead of anger, sometimes what I see is tears streaming down faces because I can see in their heart that these young men and these young women desire a God-honoring relationship. And God's word is not silent on this. He's given us a model as to how we are to serve. So guys, I don't want to be hard on you. I love you. I am with you in solidarity. I don't want to be hard on you. But let's be men who think so highly of our relationship with others that we can't help but serve. And put others above ourselves and think of ourselves secondly. And ladies, affirm the men in your life. And find ways to mutually submit to one another and bring Jesus front and center. And I promise you that when you do those things, you begin to have less of a problem with Ephesians 5 and you start a painting Ephesians 5 in your kitchen. You put this on a cross stitch and hang it up in a place of prominence because you realize it's not a bad phrase, but it's something that is so desirable. I will never forget about a year and a half ago, I was in the hospital room of a dear couple here in the life of our church named Steve and Donna Brown. And about a year and a half ago, um, Steve went home to be with Jesus, and he and Donna, um, he was just an amazing man of God, and Donna is just an amazing person, and I called her actually this week because I wanted to share this story, and I wanted to get permission, and um, Steve and Donna had been married at that point in time for 52 years, and I was sitting in the hospital room and standing with the family uh, when Steve breathed his last breath. And sitting around him, standing around him, was Donna and their sons. And let me tell you what was not in that room. There was no hatred. There was no animosity. There was no infighting. There was no arguing over the estate. There was no talk about who gets this and who gets that. But you know what was in that room? There was a lot of laughter. There were a lot of tears. And there were a lot of great memories being shared. And at the center... Was this precious woman of God named Donna, who for 52 years had been treated like royalty? Donna shared with me a little bit later Steve always put God first. Steve always put me first. Steve always put our kids first. Steve always put our grandkids first. And Steve, in fact, Steve always put everyone else first. And friends, right there in that hospital room, I caught a glimpse of what I wanted. I thought, that's what I want. This is what I want. I don't want the worldly version of a relationship. I want this. Because, see, this is right, and it's biblical, and it's God-honoring. And the reality is, I think that most relationships actually start with that kind of intention. If you're married in the room, I don't think that you got dressed up in the... You spent more time on your wedding day to get dressed up than you ever will in your entire life. You did not walk down to an aisle with bad intentions. You wanted it to work out well. You still desire for it to work out well. But as Proverbs 29, 18 reminds us, when there's no vision, the people will perish. Or when there's no revelation, people cast off restraint. See, first dates start with good intention. Dating relationships start with good intentions. Marriages start with good intentions. The reality is, though, relationships, and you see this on the screen, are built with good intentions. But good intentions will only get you so far. Relationships are built with good intentions, but good intentions will only get you so far. It's kind of like a workout plan. It starts with good intentions, but good intentions only get you so far. Healthier eating, good intentions, but those intentions will only get you so far. Perhaps you sit on an altar or you're going to stand at an altar someday with the best of intentions, but see, it takes work to consistently and continually find ways to wash the feet of another person. It takes so much effort to not sacrifice the most important people in your life for the wrong reasons. And we need each other, and we need to hear these stories of encouragement to continue moving forward in our journey. In fact, I want you to hear a story about that this morning. I'm going to invite up Tim and Jennifer Ranson, And Tim and Jennifer Ranson have been a part of our Nolensville campus from the very beginning. And Tim and Jennifer are awesome. And as they're making their way up here to the stage, I'll tell you a little bit about them. Tim uh, and his family recently, just within the past um, couple months, actually um, sold their family business. They were a uh, on Delta Stage Lighting, and Tim. Uh, had, had led a bit the helm of that business for over 30 years, um, and Jennifer is incredible, and it's just such a wise leader, and leads so passionately here in our church. And um, by day, she's the COO of the Bridge Ministry uh, in downtown Nashville, the working with the homeless population, but also um, kids all throughout the greater Nashville area. And so they're really, um, really, really incredible um, leaders, and I'm so grateful for you guys sharing with us a little bit today. But some of you, some in the room. May know Tim and Jennifer's story, and there's many people that don't. And so why don't you guys hit just uh, a little bit about your story, some of the things that God has been doing, and some of the, maybe some of the challenges that you guys have gone through.
1: Absolutely. Well, Tim and I met years ago. Uh, we've been married for 28 years, and we met years ago at one of the lowest parts of my life. I had been attacked and um, had just given a baby up for adoption, and that's how we met. And God turned just um, our meeting into beautiful friendship, and then that friendship into just a remarkable love. And uh, we did just what you said. Um, and we stood at that altar, and, and we said, for, you know, richer for poor, better for worse, and sickness and in health. And, and, um, and we got married, and that was the beginning of a beautiful journey. Today, we have a couple of our kids here with us. Um, They're always here with us, but we have... uh, Carter is not here. He's our oldest, and he'll be 25 uh, coming up, and now is married. Um, And... They just bought their first house. And then Miranda is right here. And Miranda is 22. Um, and then uh, she's about to be married to Daniel, this bright redhead here on the front row. <laughs> and, um, clearly, he's marrying into the family.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: and then Hallie is bringing up the rear. Uh, she is 16. And everything is about uh, being a percussionist in Nolansville Band and and we've had some just incredible high highs in, in our marriage, and then we've had some low lows as well. And one of those lows came on January the 4th, 2011, when Tim suffered a massive stroke. And in that moment, uh, you know, the doctors were not hopeful that he would live. The doctors actually uh, tried to convince me to go home and leave him and to plan funeral services because he would pass away. And then when he kept living, um, they told me that he would be a vegetable. There would be no way that he could be anything but completely bedridden and that I needed to find a facility to put him, him in. However, clearly... <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yeah, I like is to say that's not our story. Yeah, this is not a hologram. This right? is a real. This is a real
1: person. Uh, that has not been our story. So uh, God set us on a healing journey, um, one that has not been easy, but one that has been beautiful. I oftentimes call it brutal. It's been brutal, brutal, but yet beautiful, and we wouldn't trade it for anything.
0: Well, guys, tell us a little bit about, so again, you did, you, you've had those wedding vows and you told us in one of the previous services that they were the KJV version, <laughs> the V's and the vows, but you made a commitment to love and to cherish and to thick and thin and richer for poor, sickness and health. Over your marriage, how have you seen those vows really be lived out? What are the, what, what, what would you say about those vows and, and how they've been lived out? Uh, Joyce.
1: Choice. Yeah. We just see them as choices. Because while on May 9th, 1992, we stood there and and we made the decision to get married and to say those vows, um, what we found was that on May 10th, there started to be all kinds of choices that we could make that were outside of those boundaries and that commitment that we made to the Lord. But what we found is to the Lord and to each other, but what we found is just incredible peace, the most um, um, internal fulfillment, and joy came when we would say yes to those vows, when we would say yes to keeping those vows. And it wasn't that there, was, there wasn't opportunities to go outside of them, but as we pressed in and really leaned into Jesus and what his word says, then he would give us the strength and the wisdom and the tenacity to say yes, and through that we would find just such great fulfillment and joy.
0: Right. Well, and the last thing, guys, what um, what what are ways that you would say your marriage has been strengthened uh, throughout the the challenges and the adversities? Uh,
1: choice. 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 And,
0: and
1: yeah, it's another choice again. Uh, yeah. Do you remember the other word? So one of the one of the I'll tell you. Um, you know, you one of the things that we experienced through Tim's stroke was that he had apraxia and aphasia, and then originally complete uh, right-side paralysis. So apraxia and aphasia is both your understanding as well as your ability to express. And, you know, some of the the ways that our, just our relationship and our marriage has been strengthened was because in that depth of the, the hardest of the hard days, you know, after Tim's stroke, everything else was stripped away all the fluff was gone and what remained were the the pillars that really held our relationship together and chief among those was jesus and um and and i I think about you know just the ways you're talking about men leading and while tim couldn't speak and he didn't even remember us initially um he still had this deep desire and this longing uh, to serve the Lord and and to be a leader among him. And like one of the things that he did, um, your brain puts music in a different part of your brain than speech. And so he would learn how to speak again through music oftentimes. And so when the kids were little, when they were growing up, Tim always, if he was in town, I mean, we owned a production company, so he long gone a lot, but when he was in town, he would always pray over all of the kids before bedtime, but he couldn't do that anymore, he couldn't form those words, they wouldn't come out of his mouth anymore, but he could sing. And at the, at the time of his stroke, Hallie was seven years old, and she would go climb up into his hospital bed, and he would sing, Jesus loves me, over her every time. And, and so we found incredible strength into just leaning into Jesus and um, to just building really on what we had started years and years before, and that's allowing God to be Lord of every part of our life.
0: Thank you all so much for sharing. Thank you guys. I want you to take that from you. Thank you to Tim and Jennifer for sharing, and, and those of you that um, know a little bit more about Tim and Jennifer's story, and, and I would encourage you to to reach out to them and talk to them because it's such an incredible story. It's so encouraging to me because in the midst of the highs and the midst of the lows, they said, we're going to remain faithful to what God has asked us to do. I also think that Tim and Jennifer, and they didn't say this, but I certainly know if we would have given them more time that they would have probably said this in relationships, it's really not about you either. And it's about serving and it's about putting the needs of someone else above you. And Paul knew this. And Paul knew that men and women were different. He knew that relationships were going to be a struggle. He knew that this was an area we're going to need continual investing in, continual improvement in. And what I love that Paul does here is it's where I'm going to close today. What I love is he puts a big punctuation mark on the end of all of this teaching about relationships. In fact, go to chapter 5, verse 33. And this is the punctuation mark. And leave it to Paul to just say, in case you don't remember anything else I said, remember this. And this is how Paul ends all of this passage about marriage and relationships. Verse 33, however, each one of you must also love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. This is a game-changing verse. As I alluded to earlier, the Bible doesn't have a whole lot to say about marriage. It's so crucial, and it's a relationship that many, many people have, but the Bible doesn't have a whole lot to say. This is one of the clearest examples in Scripture of how men and women are different, and how we're wired differently, and what God desires to do. To be loved is a fundamental need of women. To be respected is a fundamental need of men. Emerson and Sarah Eggerich revolutionized this truth for me, and they released a study that very aptly was called Love and Respect. And it was all about this principle. And what they tell us is something that Harvard non-church-based researchers have also affirmed. Don't you love that? When the Harvard types affirm something that you know God made clear 2,000 years ago. Um, and I'm thinking, great. I'm so glad that your research affirmed that, that there's needs that men and women have. And one of the primary needs of a man is to know that he's respected. and One of the primary needs of a man wife, woman is to know that she is loved. And I'm not saying that this is the be all end all, but Paul gives us a really clear example of it's a mystery. But yet, if you can understand this truth of the impact of love and respect in a relationship, it will increase the overall health of your relationship. Ladies, if you really want to erode the heart of a man, I'm going to give you a recipe as to how to do that. Please don't do this But if you want to erode the heart of a man, then act disrespectfully towards him and don't show him respect. Shanti Feldhahn, who is a researcher in this area as well, has an amazing kind of observation about the question that men are asking in a marriage. And one of the questions that we are asking as in a marriage, ladies, is do I measure up? Am I good enough? Am I valuable enough? Do I have worth? Am I providing enough for our family. I'm not making this stuff up. And that's at the heart of that respect principle. I had known my beautiful wife, Jacqueline, for several years before we started dating. And to be honest with you, one of the most pivotal moments in our relationship that took our relationship from just a friendship to eventually going on our first official date, one of the things that really encouraged me, flipped the switch in my mind, however you want to word that, is we were leading a community group together. And we were both at Rolling Hills, and we were leading a group that had, you know, people that weren't married and all those kinds of things. And we're finishing the group one night, and um, we go outside, and we're standing in the driveway of the house where we're leading the group. And we're just talking, and she looks at me in the eye, and she says, you know what? you do such a good job leading that group. And then she follows it up with, in fact, of all the groups I've ever been in, you lead the group better than anyone. (laughs) Excuse me, do you want to say that again? You lead that group better than anybody. To this day, when I'm done mowing the yard, Which at our house is about a two hour process. And I come in and I have mowed that yard without fail. She looks me in the eyes and she says, Baby, that yard looks so good. I don't know if you think my sermons are the best that you've ever heard, but she does. (laughs) And she tells me every week, That sermon was better than the week before. And she might be even making it up. I don't care. How do you think that makes me feel? Makes me feel valuable. It makes me feel worthwhile. It makes me feel like I'm not a failure. So ladies, if you want to cut the feet out from under a man in your life, you talk about him behind his back. You demean him. You never af- affirm the work that he's doing. You don't trust his leadership. You don't, just let him know that you don't believe that he is good enough, and I promise you it will suck the wind out of his life. And it will suck the wind out of his sails. What it will also do, unfortunately, is it may very well cause him to act unlovingly towards you and to not show you love, which is something that you so desperately need. So men, if you really want to erode the heart of a woman, then act unlovingly towards her. When she tells you that she needs to talk, you ignore that. Or when she says that she has a question for you, you say, you know what, I don't have time for that Right, now, what Shanti Feldhahn would also tell you is that the number one question that a woman is asking in a marriage is if he knew everything that he knew about me now, would he still choose me again? Knowing everything that he knows, good, bad, in between, would he still want to be in a relationship with me? What does that speak to? That speaks to the heart of her needing to be loved. And if you let this go too long, on what Emerson and Sarah Egerich call a crazy cycle, if you let this go too long, what might very well happen is that she will find someone that will listen to her and an emotional connection can be formed with someone else and he will find someone at work that will grab his arm and make a comment, oh, you're so strong. And if left unfettered, it could get out of control. And those relationships, you can go outside of those marriages to find someone that will speak the language that you so desperately need to hear. So to close, I hope that this passage of Scripture is more than just a passage of Scripture that seems old-fashioned, but rather a passage of Scripture that shows you God's life-giving design for relationships and how you are wired. Because see, God wired you differently as men and women. As Tim and Jennifer reminded us, God never promised you that things were gonna be easy. God said that in the midst of your marriage, there might be a diagnosis, there might be cancer, there might be a stroke, there might be a financial loss. But he did tell you that the healthiest key to that relationship is to invite Jesus right in the center of it. So my question for you is, how are you gonna serve those most important people in your life? How are you gonna follow that example of Jesus? And don't be surprised if it is the most important thing that you do in every relationship here on earth. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this beautiful morning. Thank you for this day. Thank you for your promise that you have loved us. You loved us so much that you gave your one and only son so that we could have life. And I pray that we would invite you, Jesus, into every relationship. If there's a relationship in this room that's struggling right now, I pray that you would give the hearer peace and knowledge and trust in you maybe there's an area of our life where we need to trust you more. And I pray that you would give us the courage to do that. I'm so thankful, Lord, for who you are. I'm grateful for your presence in this place and pray that you would be honored and glorified with the lives that we live. And it's in the name of Christ that we pray. Amen and amen. Well, thanks for listening. If you want to learn more about Rolling Hills and what's going on in our church, you can download our app. Also, you can visit our website at rollinghills.church. From there, you can follow us on Instagram and on Facebook and stay up to date on what's happening at the church and ways that you can connect. Thanks for listening. We're so thankful for you.